0: Let's pray. Father God, as we approach your word, we just pray that you would, by your spirit, just be moving and active and teaching us and prompting us in every way. We thank you that you are a good, loving, and perfect Heavenly Father who knows just what we need this morning, and I pray that you would bring it. We just humbly receive it and ask that you give us the grace to obey your voice. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we're finishing a journey a long, many weeks and now months journey through the gospel of Matthew. And we are focusing these last few weeks uh, thinking about the second coming of Jesus. And we're considering, is this just some sort of curious add-on that some Christians are into and uh, others uh, could just ignore? Or, as I believe, is this truly a central part of our faith and our day-to-day walk with Jesus? So, uh, last week, uh, just a little recap, Jesus' uh, disciples asked him a couple questions. They asked, uh, When will the temple be destroyed? Because Jesus was talking about that. And when will be the, the coming of the Son of Man? When are you going to come back? And when will be the end of the age? And last week, we looked at um, th- these primarily a description of the destruction of the temple, which happened in 70 AD. But Jesus also gave some signs of the end of the age. And this week, the verses that were just read for us, primarily answering the question, you know, when when are you coming back, Jesus? When and then when will be the end of the age? So verse 36 here becomes very important. Jesus said, about the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. This is something that Jesus Himself does not know when his return would be. Jesus said there'll be uh, times of distress that may characterize the end of the age, but all, whatever signs are going to be, they, they're, they're not meant for us to set up a, a timetable to be able to predict the end. Not even Jesus knows that. So it is foolish, therefore, to try to figure that out. And everybody historically, of course, who's tried to do that has been Wrong, so far. Um, There are those who say, you know, Jesus, he said, the day and the hour isn't known. But you could easily predict the month of the year. You know, you should try to do that. That is so stupid. Uh, You're missing the point. The point that Jesus is making is that uh, the unknown nature of the timing is important. Uh, We can... The fact that it's going to come as a surprise, that you can't predict it, is important in the life of the believer. And it, it, it will inspire the way that we live in light of that. So I want to take a look at that today. But to do that, I want to introduce you to Secular Sam. So, it, and I've introduced you to Secular Sam before, perhaps, and another pastor introduced me to Secular Sam, and I want to introduce him to you. Uh, secular Sam lives in our community He's a good guy. He's pretty successful at business. Uh, he has a nice car and a lovely home. Um, he's got a wonderful wife. He's a healthy guy. Secular Sam likes to run in road races, a 5K, 10K. He loves that kind of stuff. Um, he coaches his daughter's soccer team. And they went 6-2 and two last season. Um, he's smart. He's funny. Secular Sam is a great guy. Secular Sam is also a Christian, so he's very active in the life of the church. He believes in the Bible, in the authority of Scripture, so he believes in God, he believes in human sin, he believes that Jesus forgives sin because of his work on the cross. Secular Sam, because his pastor keeps telling him to live out his faith on the front lines of his life, he genuinely tries to do that. So his business practices are very moral. Uh, they're very uh, biblical life that he lives. He likes to get into debates with his atheist friends. And they, he, they, he refutes all their arguments when they're trying to disprove God. And he gives them evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. And they're all stumped by these things. And get this. Secular Sam, he likes me. He thinks I'm a good preacher. And he, um, he posts links to the, to the sermon videos on his social media pages. So that's secular Sam. But he's profoundly secular. And this is why. Because he expects to wake up in his bed tomorrow morning. And he believes fully that tomorrow will be somewhat like today. Maybe even a little better tomorrow than today. But all of his concerns and his concerns for his spiritual life are rooted in this day, in this age. Again, tomorrow is going to be just like today. That is very secular thinking. The word secular comes from the Latin word seculum, which means age or generation. The idea is that this age and this generation is all that exists secularism traditionally denies the existence of God and denies the, uh, any sense of a future state that is different than this world. Secular thinking has been around for a long time. There was ancient, in the ancient world in our world today. This is, it has flourished in our world, secular thinking. But how did it happen to Sam, who goes to church and who likes my sermons? What happened to Sam? Well, what happened to Sam was that when he came to faith in Jesus Christ, he believed in in this world and in the age to come, in the future. But over time, he was very focused on this world and this age and day, and less focused on the age to come. And then he was very worried about this age and this day, and confused about the age to come. There's some strange images in the Bible and some different ideas about what that's going to look like. And so he's worried about this, confused about that. So he's thinking more about this age, less about the future. And he starts ignoring this future state and then just forgetting it altogether. And then to the point of even just denying that it even exists. That is secularism. It pervades our society and it pervades churches When churches get very focused on how do we do this life better and everything's focused in this day and not preparing for the life to come, we miss out on the words of Jesus who said, be ready, watch out, you don't know when it's going to happen, but it's coming and you need to live all of your life in light of that. And he gives us three pictures of it here in the text that was read for us. And we're going to take three lessons from this. The first one is from Noah. Lesson from Noah in verse 37. Jesus said, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating, drinking, marrying, being given in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark, they knew nothing about what would happen. Until the flood came and took them away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So, Jesus has said, look, there's going to be signs of the end of the age, but when that comes, for most people, it's just going to be business as usual. More of the same, just living life, people eating, drinking, getting married, very normal, everyday life stuff. Now, some of the signs might be there, the disasters, we looked at this last week, wars and disasters and persecution, and that some of those things may become more intense. But when the end comes, it's going to come quick. It's going to be sudden. It's going to be very clear. You will know what's happening. And it will be irreversible. So Jesus elaborates in verse 40. He says, two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women grinding at a handmill, One will be taken, the other left. Now, I think there's some confusion about that particular description. Some believe that this describes sort of a secret rapture where followers of Jesus will just disappear from the earth and everyone else left behind, confused where they went. Cars crashing off the road with no drivers and airplanes falling out of the sky and that sort of thing. I do not think that's in view here. Uh, We as a church don't teach about a a secret rapture. Um, I I think it's sort of a um, a misunderstanding of some other parts of Scripture, but what's in view here, and actually the language here isn't taken to be with Jesus, it's taken in judgment. Um, So it's actually not a good thing to the one who is is taken in this scenario. But the point isn't taken to be with Jesus or taken in judgment. The, The point Jesus is making is the suddenness of this, that two people are doing the exact same job, and one was ready, the other wasn't. Two women grinding at the mill, one taking the other not. And it's, it's a great image for us because they're just doing normal stuff. They're just working. And sometimes it's the normal stuff of life that pulls us away from our faith. There was some research done about 10 years ago. A massive study that was published in a book called Move. And I've mentioned this before to you. But this group of researchers surveyed 250,000 Christians about their spiritual journey and about the things that helped them to grow and to mature in their Christian faith. And what they found in the research was that the vast majority of people of faith, of Christians, at some point in their journey got stuck or stalled out. They, just, they were growing and they just kind of got stuck. The number one Reason that people's faith got stalled out or stuck was not some life event, some major tragedy or a broken relationship or some kind of catastrophe. The biggest reason people got stuck was busyness. Normal, everyday stuff of life. When they get focused on the stuff of life and sort of stop doing the things that nurtured their spiritual life in the past and they just got spiritually stuck. Mundane things. The lesson from Noah that Jesus shares here is to be ready. To be ready. How? By doing all those things that nurture your spiritual life. Those rhythms of prayer and of scripture and of personal devotion and of connecting with a group and worshiping with other believers. All these things that nurture help keep us aware and ready for what God is doing in this world and in the life to come. Making all those small investments, getting back to them. Be ready. The second lesson is the lesson from the the homeowner. We see this in verse forty-two. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this: if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have left his house to be broken into so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. This is a great image. The thief will never tell you, I'm coming at 3.30 a.m. on Sunday morning. You would be there with a baseball bat. The point here is that you should live constantly ready. And that's good for your soul. The fact that you don't know the day or the hour, and it could happen anytime is good for your soul because if you knew the date and the hour you wouldn't be vigilant all the time. I know you wouldn't. I wouldn't. I had the worst job I ever had. Terrible job. I was working in a laboratory and I was sorting stream samples. So I was staring into a dissecting microscope eight hours a day eyes into a microscope. Terrible. Sitting down and they would bring these stream samples in and I would you wash the sample, and then you sort. I had to sort out all the macroinvertebrates, little bugs. So I'm sorting through the sample to get all the little bugs out, and I put the bugs in a little dish. And then here's me staring blankly into a scope. And then I would put the sample back, and they would put it away. Every so many samples, they would do a quality assurance check. So my boss would take the sample back and go back through it to make sure I didn't miss any of these bugs. And they're tiny, these little tiny. So I had one supervisor who would signal to me, a little wink-wink, if it was one of the ones they were going to double check. He'd say, oh, you haven't had a quality check in a while. Like, yeah. I would work so hard on that sample, I would always do better. And if I felt like, ah, they just checked the previous one, they're never going to check two in a row maybe i wouldn't do such a good job. my point in this is if if you don't know when it's coming you're going to be more diligent but if you know that it's not, you know, not going to be double checked, eh, just put it off or just do, you know, do it well but you don't have to do it the best. i'd hate when they find a little bug that i didn't find. it was just so embarrassing and anyway. i was pretty good at it but it was terrible. okay. look at the, the new testament picks up on this Thief image, First Thessalonians 5, verse 2, For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Same image. People are saying, peace and safety. Destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Verse 6, So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. If you forget about the end times, and you feel every day is just going to be kind of like the next, inevitably we'll fall into this lethargy, we'll become sleepy spiritually, and not vigilant as Jesus is calling us to be. If we just keep focusing on, let's just do this life better, let's do tomorrow a little bit better than today, We're we're going to nail it, we're going to do this life right. It just... Slowly, one day into the next, we we lose sight. But if you believe what Jesus said, and you know that the end can come, like snap, we'll be more vigilant. We'll be preparation for that. And if you believe that this life that we live today is preparation for eternity, that the reason Christ hasn't come back is that he's doing something in you and in this world, and you're aware of it, and if you're preparing your heart for eternity... your heart will be prepared for anything you face in this world. Because you're looking in life of eternity. And that leads us to our third lesson here, which is the lesson from um, the servant. So the lesson from Noah is to be ready. The homeowner says, be constantly ready. Now the lesson from the servant in verses 45 to 51 is this. So you have a master of a household. He goes away for an indefinite period of time. It could be a very long time. And one servant is put in charge to feed and care for the rest of the household. And if the servant comes back and that's happening, that's a good thing. The other servant, instead of caring for the household, abuses them. Instead of feeding them on time, indulges in eating and drinking and, and the master comes home and it's bad for that servant. This is very severe judgment. The lesson here is not only are we to be ready and constantly ready, but we're actively ready. The image is not you with your bags packed, sitting at the table waiting for your Uber driver to pick you up and go to the airport. That's not the image. The image isn't you sitting, Jesus, I'm ready to go anytime now. The image is that you're active doing the things that the master has uh, to, you know, set you to do in his absence. It's, it's not a passive thing, it's a very active thing. Which reminds me of another job I had. One of the better jobs I've ever had was working at the video store. So for some of you younger people, you, movies used to be on a, a cassette tape, a magnetic tape that had the movie on it. You had to physically get it from a store and put it into a machine called the VCR and play it. And then rewind it, unless, anyway, that's my working at the video store why people couldn't rewind their own videotapes. Anyway, those days are over. Been replaced by a, a robot, so, or a cell phone. Okay, at the video store. There's a very different way we would work at this store when the boss was away than when the boss was in. And if I knew that the boss was coming in, I would have cleared all the returns, put him back on the shelf to rent. But if I didn't think he was there, maybe I'd leave until the end of the shift. We behave differently when the boss is there and when the boss is away. I could tell more stories, but I'll spare you. Verse 45 Who is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? Think about the image there's the master, that's of course God. We are the servants, we are to be feeding the household. So that means that we are to be caring for one another and discipling one another and feeding one another spiritually until Christ returns. We have a job to do, and we need to take it seriously. Um, we need to remember, is my faith primarily about what I get out of it? My experience of church and of worship, is this what I receive? Or is this something where I'm giving? And that's something we need to consider and take very seriously seriously. And I just want to just speak to the folks at home online, and I greet you, and I'm so glad that you've, you know, you're you tuning in and staying connected to the life of this church. One of the reasons that it's important at some point when you're ready to get back in the room is that this is, we need each other. That when we gather, we glorify and we edify. Glorify meaning we worship God, but we edify, we build one another up as we worship. That means we need to see each other and hear each other's voices and greet one another. And and when we gather we disciple children. We need people to come back to the building and volunteer to feed the children. God's word. That's really the limiting factor right now from the church being sort of fully open is that we need people to step up for children's ministry to maybe teach once a month or twice a month or uh, Every other week, or however you're available, to 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 work together because this is it's an act of faith. Now, in, at at home, people, there's all kinds of ways that you are serving, and those are good and beautiful ways. The um, my point isn't that you should be here and not there. My point is that every single one of us needs to take seriously the notion that this experience of God's kingdom is one where I serve and not just receive. So the lesson from the servant is to be actively ready. You've got a job to do. So there's your three lessons. Be ready, be constantly ready, be actively ready. There's a a fable of three demons in training. And they get to the end of their training, and they're talking to Satan. And Satan said, how are you going to destroy people's faith? Because that's what you've been trained to do. And the first demon said, I'm going to go out and tell people there is no God. And Satan said, You fool, that's not going to work. God has made his existence so plainly clear to this world. You're never going to convince people there's no God. The second demon said, Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell people there's no hell. And Satan said, Yeah. That's not going to work either. We tried that one. Said so people know that there's evil and there's sin and that it deserves to be punished. It's going to be hard to convince them there is no hell. The third demon said, I'm going to go out and tell people there's no hurry. And Satan said, you're going to go destroy lives by the thousands. Go. Jesus said... It's coming. And we are to live life. We don't know when. There may be signs, but it's going to come quick. He said, be ready. Be constantly ready. Be actively ready. Let us pray. Father, we just pray that you give us hearts to, to know your way. That we might approach every day knowing that you're at work in this world and you are preparing us for the life to come. And as many days as you give us on this earth, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be vigilant, to to serve and to love and to just be at work at the things that you've called us to do as we await that glorious day in the end of time. The day where there will be no more toil and no more war, no more tears or sickness, Lord. And we We long for that day. But Lord, we pray that we would be faithful and vigilant. Give us the grace to do so. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.